Is it possible for me to use this? Doing an interview, and I got kicked out of my other room. Is that okay? Yeah. If you want, you can stay in here. If you don't mind me hearing me talk. No, no, no. Yeah, you can stay in here. Okay. Remembering on both sides that civility is not a sign of weakness and sincerity is always subject to proof. Let us never negotiate out of fear, but let us never fear to negotiate. You are listening to Speaker Points, an NSD China podcast. Hello and welcome to Speaker Points, the NSDA China podcast. On today's episode, we're interviewing a very special guest. His name is Gordon Pierre. He is the newest member of the NSDA China academic team. He's helping us with curriculum, tournament management, guidance on topics, all kinds of things you can imagine with what we do here at NSDA China. He's in the United States now because of COVID, but we're hoping to get him to China so some of you can meet him in person sooner rather than later. With all that, I'd like to welcome Gordon. Hi, Kale. Thanks for having me with you. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for being here. I know it's late there with the time zone difference, so I appreciate that. So first of all, why don't you kind of introduce yourself a little bit? Uh, what is your speech and debate background? Did you start? as a student competing? Did you get into it later as a coach? Or what's kind of your history with speech and debate? I guess the answer would be both as to what you asked. Uh, my experience has been as a competitor, and then also as a coach. I competed on the East Coast of the United States, uh, an area in which predominantly congressional debate was king. I did compete in some of the other events, Lincoln Douglas, etc., extemporaneous. And then as a teacher and I had the I've had the experience now for 10 years of coaching directly and uh, running some programs as well so seeing both as an individual competitor but also in a broad way looking at all the different events and everything that NSDA can and has offered it's been an interesting ride you know one thing that's interesting you mentioned that congress was really big where you grew up and did debate i think one thing that our NSDA China students maybe aren't aware of or realize is how United States speech and debate in NSDA is not a monolith. There are vastly different events, styles to those events, depending on where in the United States you grew up. Absolutely. It's interesting. I like the way you described that, that it isn't a monolith. Growing up on the East Coast, coming into the Intermountain West, going against states like Nevada and Colorado, Utah, Idaho, seeing programs that don't really prioritize Congress as an eye-opener for me of like, whoa, and it was an interesting one. We were at an NSDA uh, U.S. Nationals, I think in 2014, in which one of the directors there said something I really appreciated. He said, look, as a judge, especially in Congress, and this applies for all the events, you're going to see so many different styles and the techniques and abilities and paradigms. And some students really doubt us as teachers and mentors when we say, you just got to play the room. This director said to all the judges, but ultimately judge on what works, what works in the room. On one hand, NSDA can be great 
inclusive binding, but on the other hand, it's ironically different for different states. So that's all I agree. And it's good for NSTA Chinese students to understand if they're seeing a student either from Singapore or Malaysia or whatever competing against them, that isn't a unique experience. Like worldwide, there's just such so many different styles. Yeah, I look forward to, I hope that as we grow, we start to see similar differences in regional styles of the way they debate. You know, maybe there will be a Southern style that's a little different than a Northern style or something like that. Right now, it's pretty consistent, but that's because we're small and very centralized. So kind of everything comes from the top. And that's also something a lot of NSDA China students probably don't realize about the United States NSDA is it's very much the opposite. It's very decentralized. Everything comes from the bottom up. I think they would be surprised by how much of the governing of speech and debate takes place on the district level, on the state level, not, uh, and not as much on the national level. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I know we were mentioning this um, a little bit before in our conversations, but it's interesting to me to compare the different styles that we see and, and not just the different styles within a country and maybe, you know, as NSDA China grows, we want it to get maybe some differentiations. But I think what's also compelling is as I'm comparing the market penetration that NSDA in the U.S. has, there's an African proverb, proverb I'm reminded of is that like when you want to move fast, go alone. When you want to move far, go with a group. And I really like the NSDA China model so far. Granted, I've been here uh, only recently, but the market penetration within social media, and mind you, it is more agile and nimble because the size, it's neat to see it move far and, and far reaching. And I really enjoy that as a facilitator, as a specialist administrator, because it's neat to see people get attracted to debate as opposed to in the U.S., what happens is, is there's pockets of programs that move very fast and a director will go very fast. But then after four or five years, that island, if you will, collapses. And then there isn't, like you mentioned, the sort of top down type working with NSD in the U.S. So that's like a disadvantage, if you will. I mean, there's pros and cons of different styles, but it moves fast, but it doesn't necessarily move far as a whole group. And so that's a comparison point, too. That's a really good point, actually, because uh, now that I think about it after you say that, I mean, it's, it's uh, a story as old as time in the United States uh, debate world of a, you know, a, a program that has hundreds of students from the school are a part of the team, they are going to nationals, they do 20, 30 tournaments a year. And then the director of that program, or sometimes just one coach of that program, uh, ends up getting a different job or retiring. And then within a year, that program just doesn't exist anymore. In that model, it really takes a lot of dedication from the educators on the bottom to keep the fuel being thrown into the fire and keep going. Luckily here, with the way kind of things are structured with, you know, kids are the ones who register instead of the coaches and there's less emphasis on everything being bottlenecked through the coaching that sort of thing in terms of organization that it allows for the continuation of programs more consistently 
that's that's a really good point that I didn't think about. And I'm glad you said that because I think as we move forward and we have more coaches, have a bigger community and stuff, we should be cognizant of that potential threat and make sure that from the top, we still provide support. And I think we can do that. Yeah, I, I would agree that it's a dichotomy that NSG China's model has. And as it grows, we'll face those challenges, but it is a student-centric model, not to say other models of NSG aren't, but it's a student-centric, let's get them registered, uh, personal accountability, uh, that angle. But also, it is streamlined at the top enough to allow at least a social media presence that might not be found in other programs. So it's a nice, we, I, I would agree right now it's balanced. It will face growing pains is like, how do we manage those ideas? Um, and, uh, and who knows, uh, a little old NSDA China might really provide enough of an emphasis for a US NSDA to say, all right, you know, we can try some more social media avenues and, and that definitely speaks to our target audience. Yeah, and the, there's another strength of this model of like student agency. Uh, you kind of mentioned, you know, they are responsible for the registration, stuff like that. And it, it, at least from my experience in the United States, they would have officer positions for most debate clubs, like a president and a vice president and a treasurer and a secretary and stuff. But for the vast majority of the programs, that was a title that they could put on their college application. And that was about where it ended. There was no real or um, responsibility with those roles. Here in, here in China, man, um, those kids, they may, you can maybe argue they should be being paid by their schools, the way they organize the club and organize activities and do lesson plans and uh, you know, get, make sure other kids on the team are registered and help them register and stuff. Uh, there's a lot of leadership opportunities that these kids get in this kind of more decentralized, less coach focused model. And I think that's the key. That's the hope that gets me sort of giddy is I've seen it. Like you mentioned, uh, tale has hold his time not to wax too poetic, but it is a tragedy when directors and coaches leave and things just implode. What happens in that model is there could be almost a cult of personality that is engendered with a coach or what have you. It's just the way the model is in the sense for the US NSDA. And to see these individual students feel almost like betrayed and heartbroken, leaves not only a bad taste in their mouth toward the coach or person, teacher, mentor, director, et cetera, but also toward NSDA. And so it's a philosophical change where, and as the NSDA China students know, okay, focusing on oratory, focusing on public forum, you know, you want to go far, even though there's a temptation to go super fast, like, oh, let me do everything and let's do it all now. And I just want to have total uh, uh, penetration for all the events. But in doing so and having maybe a coach spoon feed them too much, that sets them up to fail. So it's really cool to hear that there was a, an ownership that was um, respectful, but also uh, hungry, and they wanted to drive their own car, so to speak. And I just, I, I think that's a great model, and we just have to keep that culture there. For sure, and I mean, it, our NSDA captain program is a good example of that, and I should 
plug that to any of our students who are listening right now. You know, you can be what we call an NSDA captain um, if you aren't already for your school and you have a special connection with the organization here. I've, it involves lots of different things. We send you materials. We help give you guidance on being a leader for your team and your school. For example, at our nationals, we'll have a little get together with the academic director and all the captains and we'll discuss the challenges they're facing, getting more kids coming into the program and really kind of helping them with their leadership skills and be a role model for the other students in their programs. Let's uh, shift topics a little bit then. You did speech and debate when you were in high school and you have coached it and been a director for quite a bit of time. What are some of the biggest changes you've seen in the community from when you were a competitor to now? You know, I guess maybe to identify the changes, I'll start with the similarities. And that is, it's a culture of geekdom. You know, I hate to say it that way, but there is a huge proportion of students at any school who might look at the performing arts and say, well, I sort of fit there. And might look at the academic mathletes or what have you and say, well, I sort of fit there, but don't really have a home. And they might not feel as extroverted to go out for the school musical, so to speak. You see it in their persona that they need to find a home. <laughs> There's really yep. sort of directionless and that you know forensics and debate is a, a neat competitive avenue that a lot of people forget about that has usually a long season that isn't just like a one and done and therefore you're gone and don't have a family friendship type thing. That has been very consistent. It gives me goosebumps thinking of like kids first tournaments when they like their eyes light up and they're like, whoa, this is great. That so happens. Now the difference is um, I think social media in terms of its connectivity, the memes, the debate memes are real. I've seen so many Rick and Morty debate memes or, you know, Simpson memes that give me such joy. And that is a difference where it's sort of now a little more uh, chic to be geek. And so I think as a debater, you can blend into that hipster mode a little bit easier and still find maybe even more validation than was in the past. So that's going to some of the differences. Um, I do think you mentioned this before, like Oliver Wendell Holmes said of like the marketplace of ideas. I think that's still consistent, but I do think that there's a more nuanced approach for most competitors trying to navigate safe speech, free speech, hate speech, what's a Trojan horse for racism or bigotry. I think that is a little bit more different now than it was in the past. So I think similarities is the culture of connectivity. I think some differences is social media both good and bad? Because maybe individuals who wanted to spout an idea just to see where it took them, they are a little more reticent to do so because they're a little more afraid. Mm. I think those are some differences I've seen. And maybe the final thing I think I mentioned to you before is there is this weird challenge now, so many events in the US that like, is it good, is it bad? Does it give voices for other people who didn't have voices before? to bring mm -hmm. them into the community? Does it cannibalize other events? Does it water down the product that it's too much? You know, I, I don't know. I really, I really don't know big picture wise, but that is different. Yeah, for sure. And I think I'd say I was probably on the progressive side whenever I was a kid, but I still don't think there was nearly as much 
discussion and marginalized voices or how the debate communities norms are affecting participation. That was always something that debaters cared about, but it feels like it's more ubiquitous, I guess is the way I would put it now. It's more of kind of something that is just default, a part of the conversation, which in before it, it was important, but not something that came up so regularly. And I definitely don't want to sound like, if I, if I am, I'm definitely not trying to sound like I am passing a judgment on this change. It's, it's, it's tricky. I feel like kids today have a lot more to think about in their rounds than I felt like I did when I was competing. Yeah, I would absolutely agree for good and bad. Marginalized groups that may not have had their day in the sun, uh, I should say it this way, have never had their day in the sun. Now through ingenious creative cases, and you never want to use them as a means to an end to like win around because it's a unique argument. But I would absolutely agree the deluge of information, not just for any kid at school on social media, but just in the debate realm. There's so many things that could be run and, and are, and to be aware of them, uh, both personally, but competitively. Absolutely. That's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. I think another, uh, another way I can kind of put how, how drastic the change has come or maybe illustrate to any of our younger listeners that are listening, how, how kind of different the mindsets are is whenever I was in college doing policy debate, and you're going against a critical argument, whether it's indigenous peoples, marginalized voices, women, people of color, whatever it is, right? Making an argument called, the shorthand of it was called wrong forum. So you're saying like, we don't disagree that this is a problem, but debate is a game. It is an educational one. Uh, It has to have some sort of rules. So you can't just come in here and talk about whatever you want. We need to, you know, or the community will cease to exist, right? No one's going to play the game if there's no like structure or rules to it. So yes, we agree, or we think this is an important problem that should be discussed, but there are other avenues. You can do demonstrations. You can can write to your senator. You can go into the community, that sort of thing. But while we're here playing the tournament game, we need to focus on topic-based debates and stuff like that. That argument then was definitely not a foolproof argument, and, but it was an okay argument. You can make it, if you argued it well, had the evidence on your side, won the flow or whatever, you could potentially win uh, with that argument. I feel like it, that type of argument is just, um, would not even be heard in today's climate, debate climate, right? Like saying wrong forum would, would, kind of universally be considered dismissive, um, not persuasive, just not allowed. Like, and that's kind of, I think, illustrates the change that we're talking about here is that um, what became an, op- what used to be an option for discussion now feels mandatory, no matter what, what event you're doing. I, I think that's a big change. Yeah, I would agree that as a competitor, I mean, think of this ironically, Uh, the most capable politicians and states people for a country have at best 25, 30% capacity to handle nuanced race relation topics 
like they don't have that ability to do that. And, and it's easy for us to sort of scoff, as Teddy Roosevelt said, for those who are in the arena, who are trying to win, who are dirty and bloodied. It's easy for us to judge them. And yet we have now an arena for those who are adolescents to compete. And they now are expected to navigate potential minefields, debate competitively on issues that we don't expect even the most tenured statesmen to actually solve. It's, it's like a real big irony. It's like, at the risk of sounding like an old fogey, like, oh, in my day, we didn't have to worry about that. And I agree, like, I don't know if it's passing judgment either. It's just like, it is a lot to handle. Uh, it, it's, it's ironic that we expect that then to happen. The curve competitively has become steeper maybe than yeah. what you would see in the past. Maybe that's, yeah, I, I would agree with what you're saying. To play, to play devil's advocate on the other side, you know, you might be able to argue, you know, for this has been kind of consistent with debate as a whole. You know, in the, 19, in the 1950s, they were debating, you know, McCarthyism. In the 1960s, they were debating nuclear weapons. Debate forcing young people to argue about issues and topics that are not easily solvable and are littered with minefields and potential uh, pitfalls is part of the game as well. So, yeah, you know, I, uh, it's just, it's an interesting world we're living in for better or worse. Agreed. So you have a long history with speech and debate. We've established that. Um, we've shown our age, but where have you been most recently? Like, where have you been hanging your hat? What, what part of the United States and what events and activities have you been engaged in most recently? Yeah, as a teacher and, and coach and director, it's been in the Intermountain West. So both in central Utah, uh, it, namely around Salt Lake City uh, in that area, and then in a working class area, at least relative for Utah. So demographically disadvantaged students who may not have been introduced to the realm of debate. And then uh, more recently to a demographically advantaged area uh, where they do have more resources. Doesn't mean success is always there, but they have more resources. And that's where I'm at. So as an educator, I do see you know, some differences between that, both the kid with the chip on the shoulder that can help them out in debate, but also, as you alluded to, when the bottom of the barrel isn't as bottom as it is in other areas, that's really nice. Uh, that's really nice. Uh, namely, in a more advantaged area when the lowest common denominator is still rather impressive. As a director, as a teacher, as a mentor, it's both a challenge because they'll consume whatever you're giving and they'll say, okay, what's next? And you're like, well, oh, I, I, wait, hold on. You know, I work with X, Y, and Z student and I gave them that. And they were totally satisfied or they're still ch chewing on it for three weeks. You've consumed it within a night and you're like, what's next? So educationally, that's where I've been in you know, the tenure of teaching. And, uh, and there's pros and cons to both. Street smarts is nice for kids who can probably avoid entitlement problems. But those who are advantaged also know that they can go far and many of them choose to go far. And that's like it pushes you as an educator. So that's sort of where I've been as an educator. So recently you helped us out by doing a little coaching for the 
NSDA China students who were coming over to compete at U.S. nationals. I say coming over, but it was online this year. So are there any differences that stuck out to you when you were working with NSDA China students that you didn't, you don't usually see in your U.S. students? Or were there any similarities that surprised you that it was cross-cultural? At the risk of being victim to recency bias, it might be easier for me to say, wow, these NSDA China students who competed on an even playing field, though they're up in the middle of the night for them, shone forth in a way I'd never seen before. And I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment, but Kel, I have to be honest with you, in my exposure to both students who have a chip on their shoulder, who are hungry, hungry, hungry. I mean, in my opinion, the best debater has, you know, the three H's. They're, they're hungry, they're, they're humble, um, and they're honest. Those three H's to me are what I saw with the NSCA China students. And they're sort of a nice amalgamation of what I have experienced before. I've seen students, now it's hard to brush with a fine stroke, but I've seen students with a chip on their shoulder who wanna do and prove maybe against the odds that they're hungry, right? They're really mm -hmm. hungry. They're not maybe honest with themselves because they can't really gauge what they can do, but they're really hungry. Right. And then I've seen really advantaged students who aren't very humble. And so I've seen, like, I have coached a team, public forum, right? We were going up in state and regional and district and all that stuff. And these four teams of eight individuals, they were the best public forum students as a whole I've ever been around. They went into a lower level competition and got their behinds handed to them, not because they weren't hungry, not because they weren't honest they just weren't humble and they were in the room and the judges wanted to have nothing to do with them and so when i see those two worlds the nsda china students the creme de la creme like they they were honest of like just eviscerate me gordon and tell me exactly what i'm doing wrong and just like rip into me and i'm like whoa that's a little different mm -hmm. but then they were honest they weren't like self-flagellating they weren't like trying to hurt themselves they were trying to get better and then they were also humble to where they came to ask for help. And it was a really cool mix convergence of those three. So my answer for how did that compare with my previous experience? It's a really cool mixture of chip on the shoulder and capable and able. And I, I really like that. I like to see, you know, the unbeknownst Chinese students coming in and win. And I'll give a very clear quantifiable way. One of the best teams in public forum in the whole Intermountain West only picked up five ballots in prelim rounds, okay? And I remember they're like, oh, we only picked up five. And there was a team who was so young, they picked up six ballots from NSDA China. Now I didn't tell either team those results, but to see the comparison, I'm like, wow, that's impressive, you know, to see that. So very cool mix. And I hope that's similar for everybody, you know, those three H's. Yeah, we're getting so close competitively for U.S. nationals. I mean, just right, we're getting right there on having like a kid a team finally break. I mean, we had a middle school OO student who got recognized in finals. Um, first time that ever happened for a Chinese student at U.S. nationals. So we're, we're right there breaking competitively, like getting there. And one thing you described that uh, – I think as if for an educator that cares and an educator that is really devoted to their career and what they've decided to do, it's so exciting when you first realize it when you get here to China, because this isn't just with debate students, 
but the culture here in China really is one. You know, there's some, there's some things in the debate community in the United States that doesn't really translate culturally to China as much, you know, some things. But one thing that they are like fish to water and excel at is taking constructive criticism. Here in China, the attitude of the vast majority of the students is super humble and, and they will, they want to know as why they're bad, right? Um, some of it's a little sad uh, because you know they've been spending their whole life having mom and dad tell them they're terrible. And so they're not used to getting good positive feedback or something like that. But the other side of it is, you know, that humility you talked about. They're willing, you know, they are not satisfied with anything short of perfect. I see a lot of coaches when they come over here first make the mistake of like wanting to protect their ego when they give feedback and not be too uh, critical and stuff. And I watch the Chinese kids, they, they think those coaches are like unprofessional. Like how could they possibly think that was a good speech? That was a terrible speech. I gave it, right? And uh, you kind of, once you get used to that, man, uh, the sky's the limit on how much they can grow because they really are willing to just always be improving. And these kids have so much potential because of that. Absolutely. Um, I'm not surprised to hear that that's something that stood out to you uh, because I think it's one of the one of the biggest strengths that our students have. And um, it's going to take time, but they're they're going to take over the world. They are super strong with that attitude. And uh, I don't want to derail from any other future questions, but I just um, one more point on this topic you're mentioning. But as an educator, it's a paradox in the U.S. You know, U.S. entitlement in terms of survey data compared to other countries of adolescents and their feeling of number one or what they can or can't do, some have said is more elevated than you'll find in the rest of the world. And yeah, I can see that. And that's a problem. Debate can be a double-edged sword where you give students tools and, and equipment to succeed in life. But they also run the risk of being an Alexander Hamilton-like character where they're good, but they know they're good. And that's as a, as a mentor, you're like, no, like you really worry. And again, I've lived a little in Asia now, Southeast Asia, obviously broad strokes, different areas and culture, but the, the humility angle of it, I've seen, and man, I, I wish I could take that culture, that mentality and spread it throughout the U.S. and everywhere else in the world, because it is so helpful to balance these tools and, and equipment to do well in life. But as you said, to take over the world, but to run the world in a great way, you know, as opposed to just being some dictator, you know, that's, that's where I'm encouraged by students who are humble. I'm discouraged by those who take the tools and say, well, how can I manipulate this situation? How can I get criticism from somebody and nod and then backbite when I leave the room and go out of the round? That's where like my heart breaks, you know, and mm -hmm. I, it's just an interesting comparison. I, I want more of that and less of what I see here sometimes. Yeah. I mean, it's a strange fact of life that many adults don't understand because uh, it's kind of counterintuitive. But I think kids, if they can understand, the sooner they can understand this, the more potential they have. And that is that, you know, confidence is valuable, but you have to use it sparingly. And if you don't have any, if you don't have any humility, you've capped your growth. You've stunted your your ceiling you can get very far in life with confidence 
but if you don't also have humility, you, you have a lower ceiling than those that do have uh, that humility. And uh, yeah, I, I, I think I, I feel very lucky every day I wake up in China working as an educator in China because I have to say, you know, not all kids are the same, but that, that, that ethic of humility is one that you see very consistently with our students and makes me very proud to work for them. They're very good kids. And I'm not just saying that because they're listening. Say that because they're not listening. Uh, we need more viewers. Uh, share this podcast, everyone, with everyone you know. Uh, let's get more exposure. One last thing I'd like to talk about is, is there one thing you saw working with NSDA China students that you would describe as a kind of weakness that they need to work on more? Yeah, um, there was one that stuck out, and I told one group in particular, public forum being a more recent event is always dependent on two things, your purpose and your audience. Your purpose in this public forum venue is to help win, even with a lay judge who isn't experienced, et cetera. But the audience, and that is the judge, is going to be increasingly more and more experienced. You've alluded to this as a debate event or debate in general is around more. People get more intense and more impressive with it. Public forum isn't unique from Lincoln Douglas or policy in which what used to be maybe for lay judges has now increasingly become more for what you might call progressive or uh, uber critical judges who are looking at clear delineation within card collection, tagline creation through flowing thoroughly and in the most organized way possible. I worry for NSDA China students that an oratory partnership who are eloquent, very uh, articulate, articulate uh, and verbose will lack. I had many questions on, can you explain to me again how I should create a card? And that's because competitors they went up against said, can I see your card? Well, judge, they obviously abused the tagline here. It's not indicative of a card material. I think we need to help them be more uh, aware, indoctrinated in the subtleties, the nuances of card and clash and flow, even though the round is so short and probably doesn't really allow for it. And maybe it's an unfair expectation. That's the one weakness. I think their style, their presentation is on point. It's just the mechanical side of it, the under the hood element of it, that I, I worry that cards can get called out and the kid doesn't know how to respond and lose rounds. So these, these kids know how to ride a bike, know how to ride a motorcycle, but they don't really know how the internal combustion engine works yet. You know, that's sort of yeah. the analogy. That's the, the one concern I have. That, that's it. Well, yeah, and that's a double-edged sword, uh, what you mentioned, because, you know, it's, I, I agree with you with the idea that it goes against the spirit of public forum, and it's a double-edged sword because they learn these techniques and stuff, and then you worry, you know, are they going to corrupt, for lack of a better word, the format when they come back here, and we've actually seen that a little bit in our history. There was a school that for a while there would send their kids over to policy debate camps in the summer and then they'd come back and then they'd go to their first tournament of the new season and then would get mad that those techniques wouldn't be working here uh, because, you know, they traveled halfway across the world and paid a lot of money for a camp uh, and then come back here 
and those techniques aren't really usable. And then, you know, they're debaters, so they're not just going to give up. And so then they start lobbying NSEA China to change its rules. They start arguing with judges. If the format really does have public support to kind of shift its norms and styles, I mean, I'll, I won't stand in its way. But if you ask me personally, I hope that we don't fall down that rabbit hole. I would rather start a new event that has those norms than try to change the event we have now. So la last subject, just want to get your quick opinion on is the NSEA China Nationals is coming up. We have the physician assisted suicide topic. You did a topic overview for us. You've looked into it a little bit. I'm just curious, do you, do you have any thoughts about that topic? Do you like it? Do you not? You can be completely candid. What are your thoughts on it? I love this topic because in the history, if you will, going back for quite some time in USNSDA, this topic has almost been that electric third rail for many to say, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to talk about that. And I really, really enjoy this one because it is for public consumption. I'm very encouraged by this. I'm really excited to see the cases that are constructed, the competitors that compete, and how they, how they navigate this field. Beyond that, I am really encouraged to see uh, students go for the affirmative route through a self-autonomous, through a backing of self-determination. Because I think that's a novel area, especially for the realm of public forum, that will really push students to talk, not philosophically, this isn't Lincoln Douglas, but to be pushed in a way that helps them focus on framework, to help the judge see, all right, judge, we're looking at this round from the angle of self-determination, from the angle of self-autonomy, and that is something that will push debaters. So one, I'm excited about the idea. Two, I'm excited that it'll push debaters on the aft side to maybe explore different routes. Uh, because prima facie, like it's a it's gonna push it that way, but maybe app will find a couple different angles on it. And and finally for the neg side, I am encouraged that the neg has data points to pull from to say, well, look at the bad ways it was implemented in this Scandinavian country, or you know, look at the bad way that it was implemented in Western United States or whatever. That's true, there's data points there, but it's cool to see that the app can still easily call them out for cherry picking data and saying this is not indicative of a greater call or a different country or a different culture. So it's, it's a cool combo of philosophy, but also some data points, but it's not overwhelming data. It's not like it's been instituted by you know, all of Southern Asia does it. There's no, that's not the case. Yeah, no, I, I agree with all that. Um, I'm really excited to see how it goes at nationals. Um, and probably by the time this podcast is released, uh, it might all, nationals might already be over with the backlog we have on podcasts. But um, so I'm, I'll just say, man, it went great. I can't believe how awesome it was. So I think that that probably wraps things up. I'm really happy that uh, the NSDA China community is getting a chance to meet you, learn from you. You're going to be a very valuable asset to these kids. And so the last thing I like to do any of these sort of interviews is give you, give the guest one last chance. Is there anything you want to say, any shout out, a project you're working on or 
say hi to the family or uh, some, any, anything you want to say to the community who might be listening? Well, I don't think I can tell my wife, hey, I finally arrived. I have the dulcet tones of a podcaster. Uh, she is addicted to podcasting every format, that and the other. I don't think I have graduated to that level. So while I'll give a shout out to my wife for all of her support and helping this happen and her encouragement for trying to be in China to do this. The, the main product that I have is a project that I, I want to push is, is the greater community as a whole. I mean, you mentioned how I could be an asset for the community. And it sounds cliche and trite, but I do believe that's why I'm encouraged in doing this is I believe there's as much, if not more, I learned from the greater NSDA China community as there, I could ever give uh, in that way. And so I'm, I'm authentically excited about learning more of all these wonderful individuals that I know more remotely now, but just on a daily personal basis, I, I look forward to that. And uh, the greater COVID US as a whole wishes for that too. <laughs> so that's the only thing I plug, you know, looking out for all those social media presences. And I, I give a shout out for everything that's been going on. Uh, I love looking at WeChat and seeing the different videos of food taste testing challenges and uh, random, you know, articles written from students' perspectives on the topics. It's great. Uh, I love it. So I will follow along. I hope students do as well to create a great community that goes far, even at the expense at times we might want to go faster. Trust us, this will go farther than the alternative. Well, that's very well said. And hopefully you can say some of that again at the uh, 2021 NSDA China Nationals uh, after all this COVID stuff's over. For everybody listening right now, please go on Himalaya or Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast or wherever you found this. Give us a like, subscribe, make a comment, something like that. It will give exposure for the podcast and will help us reach more students and more people who maybe want to be involved in speech and debate but aren't aware of the uh, organization and what we do. And also remember, you can always send in questions or ideas for the podcast or the Think Aloud channel on Billy Billy to nsdachina at gmail.com. And be sure to subscribe on WeChat where you can find all of our stuff uh, with the NSDA China official WeChat page. So until next time, everyone, keep staying safe out there. I can't wait to start seeing you at in-person tournaments again. And uh, Jaiope.